Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe it doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 20 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I am here with Kyle F. to talk about the single greatest performance in Syracuse football history. Not really. It was a 41-3 loss to Louisville, Kyle. Not pretty by any means. And... You know, Kyle and I were talking off air. We debated about coming on and just saying, well, that sucked and having that be the whole episode. But we're going to go into it a little bit more. Kyle, how are you doing? Uh, I'm not doing great because we have to discuss this game. I mean, it was over with like a good 10, 15 minutes left in the first half. Uh, it was it was rough, rough, rough game. Uh, sure I, I watching it wanted to go find bleach and <laughs> rub, pour it in my eyes and just say, take this pain away. Um, and the, the, it carried over to Sunday because my Saints got torched by the Titans and lost because we missed two PATs. So it's not it's not been a, a great day for my sports teams. We worked for 24 hours. Um, so I'm ready to excess some demons and discuss the abomination that was this game against Louisville. Yes. And I've heard I've heard that at one point, wasn't there something about drinking bleach and that would kill COVID or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's whole separate. We don't need to go down that road. But before we get to that, we're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports book experts. So Syracuse lost 41-3 to Louisville, as, as we said. And as you mentioned, it was ugly. Uh, I tweeted out. I want to say early second quarter when it was either, I want to say it went to 21 to three. It was, I, I remember this happening. It was 21 to three. Cause I was on Twitter at that point. Like, I don't want to watch anymore. And I saw your tweet and said, yeah, yeah. I said that game right. over question mark. And there, it was pretty split to be honest with you. The response, I got several right away that said, yup, this game's over. This game's over. And others that came out after that said, no way this game is not over. And it turns out that it was now at the time, you don't know that, but it just, just something about the game that just felt off. And so that was kind of why I tweeted that because it just felt like it was, but we'll start Kyle with your overall thoughts on whatever that was on Saturday. I mean, my overall thoughts were uh, in relation to the halftime show they had was this was a Lamar Jackson flashback of Lamar Jackson, the carrier dome just destroying the SU team, running rings around them, over them, under them, through them, in the air. That's what this felt like. Obviously, it wasn't the same show from Malik Cunningham and Louisville 
but very reminiscent to just having no hope going into the game with hope and realistically we should have had none that this that's what this game was yeah and you know i'm shame on me a little bit um and for for not really taking this into consideration sometimes teams just have other teams numbers right like um it it seems like whenever team a plays team b team B always has teams A's number, regardless of what the records are. There's, there's always those types of things in sports and Louisville football seems to have Syracuse football's number. Um, They've won eight of the last 10 meetings going into this game. So now nine of the last 11, they had won six of the last seven, now seven of the last eight. And each of each of the last seven Louisville wins have been by at least 22 points. So they haven't been close. It's not just that Louisville's winning a bunch of one-score games. They are blowing Syracuse out. And now I understand that a lot of the years during that time period, Syracuse wasn't very good. And Louisville had players like Lamar Jackson and Teddy Bridgewater. They had really good teams in that time period. But there were, this season included, there were seasons where they were comparable in terms of what they were in that season. Yeah. Uh, You know, Louisville came in with an under 500 record. Syracuse came in with an above 500 record. So on paper, Syracuse was having a better season coming into this one. And yet it was Louisville that looked like the team on the cusp of becoming bowl eligible. So I, I think, I don't think that that we took that into consideration. So my big takeaway from this was, man, Louisville just has Syracuse's number. And sometimes that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, you, you don't want to overreact too much to it because it was the first time all season that Syracuse hasn't been competitive. Every other game has been very competitive and Syracuse has been in it and had chances to win. And this was kind of the opposite of where of the way everything has gone. So generally, when you have things trending or going a certain way, like in this case, every game Syracuse has been in, and you have one that takes a hard extreme to the opposite of that. So now you've got 10 pieces of evidence. Nine say always competitive. One says blowout. I think... The one becomes the exception to the rule unless it starts to become a trend. So that's kind of where I'm at with this. Um, but we'll, we'll we'll take a little bit of a deeper dive into exactly how this happened and kind of what it means going forward for Syracuse. The first place I want to start is Louisville's offense. They scored 41 points, 35 of those in the first half. Defense was was a little bit better in the second half, but Louisville was also, you know, playing a little bit more conservative through some backups in there, et cetera. So there's there's reasons for that. But this wasn't done the way we expected it, right? When we did our preview episode, when we talked about Louisville and, and the, the things that they can do that are going to pose threats to Syracuse's defense, it was about Malik Cunningham and what he can do with his legs. He ran for 19 yards in this game. If you had told me that Malik Cunningham was going to run for 19 yards in this game, I would have thought it would have been 41 to three Syracuse. I mean, I would have thought Syracuse just would have torched Louisville, dominated the game. 
if you held him to just 19 yards. They actually did a really good job on him using his legs. He did have a rushing touchdown, but his longest run all game was six yards. Six yards. And yet, they scored 41 points. How? Malik Cunningham had the single best half of football throwing the football of his entire career. He finished 13 for 18, 209 yards, four passing touchdowns. All four passing touchdowns were in the first half. 174 of those 209 passing yards were in the first half. And he was just throwing the ball in the perfect spot, pass after pass. When Syracuse had good coverage, it didn't matter. They had several breakdowns in coverage, blown assignments. But Malik Cunningham threw the ball like he was Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, when he had been consistently inaccurate for large chunks of the season. We ran a total of 30 plays in the first half. They ran 31 plays. Uh, They had 35 points and we had three in the first half. I don't think Malik Cunningham needed to leave the pocket to do anything. He could have sat in there, made a cup of tea. He could have read like half the Harry Potter novels in the time he had in the pocket. And I have never seen a player do so little, but the little he did was perfect. He didn't have to do anything special. He had to make throws he needed to on the dime. And that's all they asked of him today. And he did it. And it was just, it was, he did, he, he, he did what he had to do this. And again, I'm a Saints fan. I'm going to bring it up. This was Jameis Winston against the Packers week one for the Saints this season. Jameis, was like 15 for 20 with like five touchdowns. And that's all he did. That is exactly what Malik Cunningham did in this game. And it was a blowout. I, and I know we'll discuss it later, but after the, the fourth touchdown is when this game was just done. It was a wrap on the, on the, uh, that fourth scoring drive for them. At that point, I hands up. I won't even lie. I went to the TV off and went, took a nap. <laughs> that is what I, happened. I, uh, I was texting with a buddy of mine. Who who told me he was do, he was doing the same thing? He was turning turn the the game off, and you know I'm usually one of those guys when I go to a game or when I'm watching a game, um, I usually watch the whole thing. You know, if when it especially if it's involving my team, right? So I, I'm an Eagles fan. If I'm watching the Eagles play, if they're getting blown out or they're doing the blowing out, which doesn't happen very often anymore, but I'm watching the whole game. Just in case, because I've seen too many weird things, and I wouldn't want to miss my team having an epic comeback because I was like, eh, this game's over. I'm going to turn it off. Unless I've got something going on, right? But in this case, I did because my life's pretty boring. So I, I was texting back to, to a buddy of mine, and, and I said, this is one of those games that I think I would have. Because I it just... It was it, rough. It was, it was it, just rough. It was really rough. And, you know... it. it we mentioned that that Louisville's they put up their points not in the way we expected because of Malik Cunningham's uh, ability to throw the football. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner 
of Syracuse University Athletics. Louisville ran the ball pretty well, too. They ran for 163 yards. They averaged over five yards a carry. But as we mentioned, that wasn't from Malik Cunningham. He had seven rushes for 19 yards, 2.7 yards a carry. Jalen Mitchell was a dominant force in the ground. He had 6.8 yards a carry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he had had 102 yards on just 15 carries, had a long of 39. But it felt like of those 102 yards – like 60 to 65 of them came on, on the first drive. He had two long runs. And what what Louisville did in this game, why their rushing attack was so successful, Syracuse had one of the better run defenses in the ACC coming in, is they had outside zone runs with, with zone concepts. So a zone blocking concept is similar to when you're looking at um, a – zone defense, right? Where instead of covering an individual, you're covering an area with zone blocking. It's the same exact thing, except it's blocking instead of blocking an individual. So instead of the center being lined up with the defensive tackle or with the offensive tackle blocking the defensive end, for example, that's your assignment, no matter what you're blocking an area. So you have a couple of offensive linemen pulled to the outside. You have a couple of receivers out there and they're responsible for blocking a certain area. And whatever defenders come in that area, they are responsible for blocking. And those zone runs to the outside took away Syracuse's athletic linebackers that have been so good at creating tackle for loss opportunities, pushing teams into second and third long situations. It took their playmaking ability out of the game and forced Syracuse's defensive backs to be those playmakers. And while Syracuse's defensive backs are better tacklers than Syracuse has had in recent years, they weren't good enough to consistently stop the run. And I think it took Syracuse a little bit off guard as well. And so there was a combination of things there with some rust, with some uh, Louisville doing a little bit of different things and um, with Louisville exploiting something on Syracuse's defense that we haven't seen teams do. And I think that just, that just really hurt Syracuse's is their, their defensive intensity, their defensive aggressiveness, and uh, really put them back on their heels. And and that sort of set the table for the rest of the game. No, it did. And it, the linebackers just didn't have anything going for them this game. I mean, that was it that they, the Louisville team attacked the one place that mattered most for SU, which is our linebackers that Marlo lacks Thompson, Mikel Jones. They are the defense. If they don't play well, it is a tough, it's tough sledding for the D, but they took them out of the game. And as you said, they made it about the quarterbacks and the DBs about them having to do something. And in all honesty, as you said, we don't have playmakers on the defensive like back unit. I mean, Garrett Williams, is an amazing corner. He's a lockdown corner. He's not a playmaker. Deuce uh, Chestnut is as close as he'll get to a playmaker, but I wouldn't put him in the same category I would Andre Cisco, even Trill Williams. Like that's a different category of they're going to make a play. They're not going to do what they have to do and do it perfectly. They're going to make the play. And we don't have that right now. I mean, Deuce has done it a couple times where he's made these incredible interceptions and you've been like, okay, maybe we got something here but he hasn't shown it enough yet because he's only a freshman. He's only done so much yet. It takes him time to get there. But outside of that, there was no hope. And there was a lot of mistakes across the board in the, the defensive back unit where just blown assignment, uh, 
too much spacing between them and a receiver, way too much separation. It just, it didn't go well for any part of this defense. And I mean, we'll discuss it more in a little bit. It, it got ugly for the defense fast. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. You mentioned the safeties because, um, you know, Andre Cisco, Trill Williams, those type of guys are, are, are good ones to mention because one of Syracuse's safeties, Eric Coley, he had a really rough game in this one. Louisville seemed to pick on him a lot. Uh, we'll talk about a, a turning point uh, later in this game, but there was a third and 15 where Eric Coley's um, had an assignment of covering a tight end. He was supposed to come down and cover him, and he didn't until it was too late. Um, he got torched in a couple of the long throws uh, by Malik Cunningham. Uh, he he was just you know kind of a, a step off. It was just not a good day for him and um you know all around whether it was against the run whether it was against the pass um it it was it was really those first four drives where Louisville scored a touchdown on each and that kind of put the game away i mean if if you look at Louisville in total they had 382 yards of offense that's a good day that's not a spectacular day, right? That's not a like Syracuse put up 550 yards of offense against Wake Forest. That's a really good day. This was not that. This was 382 yards, but it was a combination of things and how they got there. A couple of short punts from Syracuse um, and hitting a, a few big plays here and there that put them into good positions. A couple of penalties from Syracuse here and there. And it just snowballed on Syracuse so fast that by the time Syracuse kind of settled in defensively, like I said, they were much better in the second half. It, it was too far gone by that point. So it was, you know, it could be some rust factored in there, but uh, you know, just, just really, really rough. And then to make matters worse, Syracuse is down 21 to three in the second quarter. Things are starting to unravel if they haven't already. And Syracuse is trying to make a play defensively to kind of spark getting them back in the game. And even, even at that point, it's 21 to three. You felt like you were teetering on things getting out of hand, but it wasn't quite there yet, right? Syracuse gets a stop, goes down and gets a score. You make it 21-10. Well, yeah, you're still behind the eight ball a little bit, but you're you're kind of right there. So it didn't feel like it was totally lost yet. And then Mikkel Jones gets ejected for targeting. And we talked about this on the podcast before about what we think of the targeting penalty. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. But before we get into the, the penalty part of it, Mikel Jones is the quarterback of Syracuse's defense. So without him, it's like the last two years when you took Tommy DeVito away from the offense, all of a sudden it couldn't function. Regardless of whether how great you or, or not you think Tommy DeVito is, Last season and in 2019, there's no question that when he was not your starting quarterback, your, the offense was worse. Just like this season, if you took Garrett Schrader away, regardless of what you think about Garrett Schrader as a player, Sturkey's offense is not going to be as good as it is with its starter. It's the same thing defensively because he makes the play calls. He makes sure everyone is in position. He he is the one that can change things up. If he sees something from the offense, he can call an audible. He's in charge of all of that. He studies film relentlessly has that reputation. So losing him really killed any chance that Syracuse had of making a comeback and getting things turned around uh, to make a couple of stops to give Syracuse's offense a chance to get into rhythm. Um, it, it was a, 
a tough blow was kind of one of those pouring salt in the wounds type of a situation. He is the best SU player, not named Sean Tucker. That is how good Mikel Jones is. He is our best defensive player. That is just what he is. He makes plays. He does everything amazingly. There's nothing he does poorly on defense and he's great at it. This was a rough, rough call. Um, and I, I know we're going to keep it short on discussing targeting as general, because we have discussed it before. Uh, and for those who did not see Jones did lead with his helmet, but he hit uh, whoever it was. I forgot exactly who in the lower ribs, he aimed low, he kept it lower. So it should be fine at that point. And on the broadcast, they're like, Oh, I guess they're going to review for targeting. And they see the call like, Oh, he, he led with his helmet, but he didn't hit him anywhere bad. He didn't hit him in his neck, his head, nowhere important. One of the ribs, you know, whatever, it's fine. And then he's ejected. And all of a sudden, everyone in SU is like, are you serious? And I agree that, as we've discussed before, the targeting penalties are the dumbest penalties you could possibly have in any sport. I mean, one possible targeting penalty, bam, gone from the game. No matter what happens, done, you're out of here. That's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It shouldn't happen like this. It should be something we discussed off air is it should be a tier system of, oh, this is an egregious, like a flagrant foul system in the NBA. This is an egregious call. He led with his helmet. He speared him in the head, sent him out of the game. Cool. Go for it. Sounds good. But a call like this, you say, oh, it's a, a targeting one. You let with your helmet. Don't do it again, or next time you're out of the game. Keep it simple. Keep it easy. I This should never have been a targeting call. I get why it was called, but it shouldn't have been called in the first place. It should have been a 15-yard penalty. It's, it's all good. It's all it's all love in, at the end of the day. But that, no, I can't get behind this call. Yeah, I mean, by the letter of the law, it's technically targeting, right? Because he led with the crown of his helmet. And there's there's two ways it can be targeting. If you're making contact with the offensive player um, kind of above their shoulders, right? The head and neck area. And if you do that, it's targeting fine. There's another part of it, which is if you just lead with your own helmet and that's more that's that's partially to protect the offensive player, but it's more to protect yourself because if you lead with your helmet and you hit someone in the wrong way, your neck can snap or you can get concussed and, and all those types of things. So it's done for player safety reasons. And, and, and I get that, but there's, I think that the, that the basketball rule of flagrant one versus flagrant two should be used as an example for this because you have, it's too easy to completely change a game off of what is essentially a 15 yard penalty. 15 yard penalties are bad enough. So what you, what I think you do is you have two levels of targeting penalty. This is how I would amend the rule. One is excessively dangerous contact where it's dirty. You're hitting someone else above the shoulders and you know, you could get them seriously hurt. And then you have the second level, which is not as egregious, which is you leading with the crowd of your own helmet. And that becomes a, the first time it's a 15 yard penalty. If it happens a second time, then you're ejected that way. There's a little bit of leeway there. 
and it gives the officials the distinction and the ability to say, yeah, this is targeting by the letter of the law, but it's not egregious enough that they need to be ejected for it. That's that's how that's how I would approach it. That's how I think is a little bit more equitable. And this is going to come into effect when Syracuse plays Virginia Tech, because the rule is now that not with Mikel Jones, because Mikel Jones was ejected for targeting in the first half because it happened in the first half. That doesn't carry over into the next game. But if you're ejected in the second half of a game, you have to miss the first half of the next game. And Syracuse's next game is against NC State. I think I said Virginia Tech. I meant NC State. Their next game is against NC State. And one of their starting corners got ejected from their game against Wake Forest for targeting, but it came in the third quarter. Because it came in the third quarter, he misses the first half against Syracuse, one of their starting cornerbacks. That, that's another part of it that I would get rid of. Is It shouldn't carry over. That's it's the only it's, time I can see it. If you want to say it carries over, if it's in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, because what you're trying to do is prevent someone from taking a cheap shot at someone when the game is over, right? You know, team a is up 45 to nothing on team B. So someone from team B decides to take a cheap shot at someone from team a, just because they're ticked off that they're losing. And so you're trying to prevent that from happening. And so your way of doing that is saying, if you do that, you miss the first half of the next game, then then perhaps you change it so that the more egregious of the targeting penalties, as we outlined, when you become the flagrant one and two situation, that if that happens in the last five minutes of a game, then you miss the first half of the next game. If it's also, less egregious, then, then it doesn't have any effect, obviously. You also, and this is just a uh, thought here, because as a soccer fan, this is how it works is that you can go back after the game, look at it. If SU feels, if you're going to do the suspension thing, if you're spending for the next first half of the next game, it should be a retroactive SU appeals the call and says he shouldn't be suspended. This was a tough call to make. It shouldn't have been a targeting in the first place. He shouldn't have to miss the game. And at that point, the power that be with the referees says, you know what? We agree. He, he risked the rest of whatever that game was he already played in. He can play the next game, like fully. It could even be that system where you say, okay, we will review it afterwards to look to see exactly if he should be here for the next game or not. But that way you get some more eyes on it. You look at the play, not just slow-mo, because as we know, slow-mo makes everything look a bajillion times worse. Yes. You look at it in full, in full speed, and you look at it in slow-mo sometimes to check and just see exactly where he hit him, whatever. But you look and say, in this case, I'd be like, okay, Mikel hit him in his ribs. Out of this helmet, yes, but that's a learning mistake for him. That's not a, he's trying to hurt this dude. That is a learning mistake as a young linebacker leading with their helmet to make a play. He's he screwed up. He knows that. Don't make it worse for him. These guys are college kids. In the NFL, they don't have this. Like, I don't I don't get where they're going with it. I know it's 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 awful. It needs just like taunting in the NFL needs to go away. This they need to, to fix. Don't this. get me started on taunting. We're not I discussing know. that today. I know. Um, everyone that, that knows me, follows me on Twitter, et cetera. They understand my disdain for officials. Right. Um, and I often rail against them um, on a regular basis on, on social media. And 
none more egregious in recent memory than the official who hip checked a guy after he called him for a nonsensical Tony Tony Carrenti on Cassius March. Awful. Awful. Yes. See, I'm a Saints fan, so I already have a disdain for referees, but that's that's normal for the that's normal for me. Um, It happens all the time. So the NFL needs to get rid of that, just like college football needs to fix this. Uh, this targeting situation, but um, back to Syracuse and Louisville, there was a turning point in this game. I briefly mentioned it earlier um, that I think really kind of started the unraveling right early in the game. Syracuse moved the ball very well in its first two possessions, first possession. They got a couple of first downs, got the ball up to midfield and uh, ended up having to punt, but they actually had, yeah, they had gotten the ball up to midfield. They got two first downs. Then Louisville gets the ball, goes down, and scores. And on a honestly, what was a pretty easy drive, um, Louisville got a first down on its first three plays, um, and then ended up with a touchdown on Malik Cunningham's six-yard touchdown, which was his longest run of the game. Ironically, we didn't know that would be the case at the time. But then Syracuse's next possession. They moved down the field running the ball, primarily running the ball, and ended up with a second and two on Louisville's 25-yard line, ran the ball on second down and on third down, didn't get a yard on either run. Instead of going for a fourth and two after not getting anything on two straight runs, they kicked a field goal. Andre Schmidt knocks it through to make it four, uh, make it seven to three, four-point game. Syracuse's, I'm sorry, Louisville's next possession. First play, Malik Cunningham throws an incomplete pass. Second play, Mikel Jones breaks through and sacks Malik Cunningham for a five-yard loss, setting up third and 15. Now you're starting to feel like, okay, that's what a little bit more about what I was expecting from Syracuse's defense, right? The aggressiveness, getting into Malik Cunningham's face, trying to force him into some bad decisions. You're in a third and 15. Syracuse has been very good defensively on third down all season. And... That gives you the chance to give the ball back to your offense. It's moved the ball during its first two possessions with a chance to go down and either make it seven, six, or potentially even take a lead at 10 to seven. And you put some game pressure onto Louisville. Do they start to think though, here we go again, type of a thing after they've had, you know, some, some losses recently. And instead Eric Coley with a blown assignment on Marshawn Ford, the tight end for Louisville, leaves him wide open for an 18-yard completion. They get a first down, and they end up scoring a touchdown on a Malik Cunningham pass to Tyler Harrell. That put Louisville up 14-3. to That, to me, changed the outlook of the game, the momentum in the game. It prevented Syracuse from ever having a chance to get momentum back on its side. And that sort of started the unraveling. And it looked like Syracuse offensively kind of got into its own head a little bit from there. And the prime example is trailing seven to nothing when Syracuse moved the ball and got the ball from its own 25 down to Louisville's 25. So they gained 50 yards on the drive. It was on all running plays, six running plays before they kicked the field goal. That included a 14-yard run by Sean Tucker, a three-yard run, a 25-yard run by Garrett Schrader, an eight-yard run by Garrett Schrader before they ended up with uh, back-to-back no gains and forcing the field goal. 
contrast that with the next time Syracuse got the ball trailing now 14 to three after they failed to get off the field in the third and 15, they run the ball on first down. Then it's a pass, which was complete, set it up, set up a third and short. And then another pass that resulted in a sack. So immediately throwing the ball twice when you had been running the ball well. So I think that turning point got into Syracuse, Syracuse's head. I think it took them out of their game plan and that started the unraveling on both sides of the ball. Once it started, they couldn't really get things back under control. No, they couldn't. And it's, as you said, like the second touchdown and the third touchdown in that kind of general span is when all of a sudden the wheels fell off the bus. And it has been discussed multiple times by players in the NFL. I know I've heard it discussed about defenses in general of when you have a third and long and you let it up, it's demoralizing because you're like, we did what we had to do, but then one small thing happened and all that work was for nothing. Now we've got to come back. The offense gets some juice, that's some life in them. Like we convert a third and long. Let's go. Let's do this. And then they keep going. They drive. And it's at that point, it's over for you. And it, Hurt at that point, the touchdown came. And as you said, it was three plays for us. Nothing really happened. We punted the ball. And I want to just bring this in as well. I don't think the punting game helped SU today. And I do want to discuss it because obviously it was not our normal punter. This was Hawkins, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, who averaged just under 30 yards a punt. The longest punt of the day was 40 yards. Your average should be above 40. Yeah. Your average should be. I mean, this has been killing Syracuse all season. The punting situation, we've talked about it. It's costing Syracuse about 15 yards of field position every time they punt the ball away. It really is. And and no better, um, no better evidence of that than averaging less than 30 yards of punt. In a game where you only scored three points, you didn't just punt it a couple of times. I think there were six or seven punts in this game. So it's it's bad, it, the punting situation. And even when James Williams has been in there, you know, it's the average is closer to 40, but it hasn't been what we've expected from Syracuse the last couple last few years. You know, you went from Rob Long to Riley Dixon to Sterling Hoffrichter to Nolan Cooney, and perhaps, you know, there was some being spoiled there a little bit about what Syracuse football is as, as a punting school, you know, punter you, but it, you know, it's a major issue that I think they need to address in the off season. 20 points, 29.7 yards per punt is just not acceptable. It's not even that acceptable. It's downright awful. I mean, there are some games in the NFL where you have punters hit six punts and average 60 yards. He have, they average double what Hawkins averaged on a per punt today. I mean, I've seen games where Pat McAfee in the past or Thomas Morstead has hit 70-yard bombs, three straight punts. That's 210 yards on three punts. Hawkins had 178 on six punts. That's awful. That is not good enough. It's just not. Even a basic punter in college can do better than that. I'm sorry. Even an average punter in college can do better than that. We don't expect you to be uh, Ariaza, I believe the guy from like San Diego state was hitting 80 yard nukes every 10 seconds. We don't expect you to be that guy. We don't even expect you to be 
Hoffrichter or Cooney or Dixon or anybody else. We expect you to be a punter who can get the job done. And I'm sorry, punting the ball 30 yards is not getting the job done. I could probably punt the ball 30 yards if I really tried to. Like that, I don't play football, but I could probably do it. And that's not me just being me. I'm an athletic kid who knows how to hit a hit a ball in general. I could probably do that. That's awful. I shouldn't be able to play for Syracuse at any position ever. Uh, I mean, I could I could punt at 30 with a nerf football, maybe, but I I could yeah, that's just they, they got to do something. If if I'm Syracuse, I'm bringing in like five guys during the off season, you know, bringing some walk-ons, JUCO guy, somebody, and just saying, "All right, y'all are battling for the job. It's wide open, and whoever's the best guy gets it." But anyway, um, you know, we, we mentioned it a little bit there with with the turning point and how things unraveled. But Syracuse getting away from its game plan, I thought was was an issue. Too, was the biggest issue offensively, right? Because they ended up running the ball okay. Um, you know, they they ran for. 138 yards on the game. Um, you look at the average yards per rush and it was only three and a half, but you have to look a little bit deeper into that. And a lot of that is because Garrett Schrader was sacked four times and that took about 40 yards away from that total. If you take the sacks away and just look at the actual running of the football, Syracuse averaged over five yards a carry. As a team, Sean Tucker averaged five yards carry, ended up with 95 yards on 19 carries. But, you know, a chunk of those 90 something yards were late in the game when when the outcome was already decided. He had somewhere around 50 to 60 yards, you know, kind of midway through the fourth quarter. And then Syracuse gave him some token carries late to try to boost up his numbers and get him, I think, what would have been his his ninth, maybe eighth or ninth consecutive 100 yard game. And we're unable to do that. But the point is they went away from their identity far too often. We mentioned what they did in their drive after they fell down 14 to three with the passes did the same thing. The next drive when they were down 21 to three is after running the ball on first down, it was pass pass before they punted. And then Louisville gets the ball back, goes down and scores a touchdown. Then Syracuse comes out and passes the ball on first down. And so because they pass the ball on first down, they end up with a second and long. So then they run the ball two straight plays, but it wasn't enough because again, they passed it on first down, only gained a yard. So, you know, that, that was kind of just the way it went for Syracuse. And at that point, yes, you're down 28 to three, but it's the second quarter. You score a touchdown before halftime, make it 28 to 10. Now you've got a shot to, maybe get a stop, then go down and score. Now you're 28 to 17 and the game feels a lot different at that point. Midway through the third quarter, you're down by 11 points. That's not that huge of of a deal. And yet after Syracuse gets a stop and they start with the ball with about a little over four minutes remaining in the first half, they run the ball in first down, then pass, pass. So again, Syracuse is a running team. And they got away from what their identity is. They are not going to be a team this year that throws the ball well enough to warrant throwing the ball two out of every three downs on a consistent basis. Dino that's that's just this. not who they are. 
Dino wants us to be the Dungey team where Dungey can pass the ball, but also run the ball really well. That's what he wants this team to be. It's just not built to be that. As we've said, Schrader's an average passer at best. He's not a good passer of the ball. Malik Cunningham's better passer of the ball. And we said he's not good at passing the ball in general before this game. And look what he did to us. I mean, Schrader needs this offseason to learn how to pass the ball well and do a lot more. And if SU is going to pass the ball, why do we have Sean Tucker? I And that's like the honest thing is like, we know this team is built around Sean Tucker. Why are you not using him as options number one, two, and three in this game? He was option number two and seven, not one, two, and three. I don't get where you, you, go, you go with this for Dino. Yes, we're down a lot. Okay, doesn't matter. Your team isn't built to come back from 28 down and pass the ball every play. It'll just compound the issue and make it a billion times worse. So what should you do? Give it to Sean Tucker. Let him do what he's done all year, which has earned him talk for a Heisman Trophy. We also discussed unretiring number 44 for him. This isn't some average run-of-the-mill dude at running back for us. This is a legitimate bona fide star. Give him the ball. I, I mean, it's voice crack. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's again, we, we've mentioned this before with Garrett Schrader, right? That the big thing for him in the offseason is to get with a quarterback guru, someone who trains quarterbacks and just work on throwing motion, throwing accuracy, throwing power, and just strictly working on all of that, right? Throwing from different angles, throwing on the run, et cetera, to try to, you know, uh, improve that area of his game. Because if he can get that up even to being an average power five thrower of the football with his ability to run, that makes him such a dynamic weapon. Right now, he's still a dynamic runner, but teams are going to try to force him to throw the ball because they don't think he's going to be able to beat them that way. And and they're they're right for, for the most part. But Syracuse's identity as a running team, even when teams know that Syracuse is going to run, Syracuse has still run well on them all season. And it's because when you have Schrader and Tucker back there together, it is difficult when you're doing some of those zone read things to stop both of them because either one of them can torch you. And if you go after the wrong guy, the other one is going to pick up big yards. And that's what did not happen in this game. And I think part of that was because Syracuse got away from it. Now, that could be, yes, circumstances certainly played a part of that, getting down by a lot early. But And Syracuse is not built to throw the ball all over the field and come back from a 28-3 to deficit by hitting a couple of long pass plays to get yourself back into a game. Their best hope for that is breaking off a couple of long runs. That's just reality of what Syracuse football is this season. And, you know, getting away from that, I, I think, it was going to be tough sledding anyway, but any chance they had at trying to make this a game by getting away from what your strength is, you know, was, was a detriment to, to Syracuse offensive attack. So the last two games of the season, they're, they're going up against NC state and Pitt, two teams that are ranked in the top 20. You can't abandon those two guys. You got to keep running them regardless of, of the situation even if you run the ball up the middle with Sean Tucker, he gets a yard or two. You've got a second and nine, second and eight. I still think in most situations, you still have to run the ball on second down. And I saw a lot of chatter with people. Well, you know, teams are putting eight and nine man boxes. Louisville spied Garrett Schrader. Those aren't anything new. 
teams have been doing that since Schrader became the quarterback. And Syracuse ran for 250-plus yards multiple times. Uh, Syracuse throwing for 46 yards, a lot of people said, well, that's unacceptable. That's pretty normal, honestly. The biggest issue was I think they didn't run the ball as much as they should. And you look at the numbers and say, well, they, they had 39 rushing attempts and, and 18 passing attempts. They, they ran the ball twice as much as they threw it. But th- th- those numbers don't tell the full story. Four of those rushing attacks, rushing attempts were sacks against Garrett Schrader. So your rushing attack numbers, your rushing attempt numbers drop down a little bit. Then of Schrader's 16 other rushing attempts, a good five to eight of them were scrambles on called pass plays. So again, now your number drops from 39 rushing attempts to like 29 rushing attempts and your passing attempts go up to a similar number. That's not the split Syracuse wants. They want a two out of three, three out of four rushing to passing attempt ratio in order for the offense to be successful. And and it just, because of circumstances, perhaps the bye week with some rust, you know, with the coaching staff, as well as the players played a part in that. Uh, But I think going forward, you get back to primarily running the ball and put the ball in the hands of your best player. I, and this is, we haven't gotten the tweet yet as of the episode coming. I don't (laughs) think Sean Tucker will be pleased with his performance and not even his performance, just the offense in general. I mean, as you said, we basically passed and ran the ball realistically the same number of times. The offense should be built like the Tennessee Titans, where seven out of eight plays, Derrick Henry's got the ball in his hands. And our Derrick Henry is Sean Tucker. Give him the ball. Let him do him. I love the guys. I love Queeley. I love Jackson. I love all of them. I want the ball in Sean Tucker's hands. This is a very reminiscent feeling of the SNL segment where uh, somebody played, I believe it was Chris Red, uh, possibly played Stephen A. Smith. Or it wasn't Chris Red. I forget who it was. It was Stephen A. Smith. And it was talking about LeBron James, the end of the game, who has the ball. The only person he wanted to have the ball was LeBron James. Not Mario Chalmers, not Chris Bosh, not D. Wade, none of them. Only LeBron. For us, I want the ball to be in Sean Tucker's hands. Nobody else. It can be with the center, and then it can be with Schrader, and then it has to go into Sean Tucker's hands. That is how every play should work. Absolutely. So the question is, where does Syracuse go from here? And and I'll start with, with my final thoughts is, you're still five and five, and you've still got two games left to try to get bowl eligibility. Yes, they're against ranked opponents, but Syracuse has played a ranked opponent this year. It was Wake Forest. They had every opportunity to win that game. That doesn't mean that the, of the next two games are going to be in them and have chances to win. We don't know. But the point is, if you're Syracuse, I think this is what you do. You take a look at some of the concepts that gave you trouble in this game because you figure that NC State and Pitt, your next two games, next two opponents are going to try to replicate some of that, right? With the outside zone runs that that Louisville was successful with, with some of the things that they did defensively to try to force Syracuse into um, 
situations they don't want to be in. But largely, it's one of those where you burn the tape, you do a little like cleansing of your aura type of a seance or something to just almost pretend it didn't happen. All right, guys, we're starting over. Still five and five. Syracuse wants to get to a bowl game. That was the goal entering the season. That is still in front of them. So not to say this game was meaningless. I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that. But it has the potential to be. If this ends up being an anomaly, Syracuse wins one of the next two games, you end up at six wins and in a bowl game. The fact that you happen to get blown out by Louisville in the middle of the season doesn't matter. It doesn't because you still accomplish what you set out to accomplish. So I think Syracuse throws the tape away. You reset yourself. You fix your issues. I think largely were execution issues as much as anything. You get your attitude back straight, become the confident team that that you had played like the last, the previous six games. And then you attack the last two opponents like your season and your football careers depend on. And that's what you do. And we'll learn a lot about the mental fortitude of, of this team by the way that they react to that, I think. I mean, I agree. And the only caveat I will have to that is if in the next game against, I believe, NC State, if the first play for SU is not handing the ball off to Sean Tucker, I'm going to throw my TV <laughs> out the window. I, I know. I mean, listen, he, he had 19 carries in this game, um, which doesn't seem like it's it's a ter- it's a low, low amount. But a bunch of those carries were in the fourth quarter. I mean, on the last drive, he had four carries. So now you're talking, and, and at that point, there was two minutes to go, and Syracuse is down 41 to three. Game's over. And yet he ran the ball four times in the last two minutes. Brings up the other question should he have been in there at all? But I digress. The previous possession to that, where Syracuse started with a ball with about 12 minutes to go in the game. He had a couple more carries. You look at earlier um, in, in the fourth quarter, he had another carry. So, you know, you're talking of his 19 carries, you know, five to six of them were meaningless, so to speak, in that the game was, was basically over. And it was similar to what happened against Rutgers, where Sean Tucker scored a touchdown to tie the game against Rutgers and didn't have a a carry the rest of the game. He needs over 20 carries every game. He should have at least 25, I think, in every game. And that's what Syracuse has to do going forward is is feeding the best player on their team and the guy that makes their offense work. I honestly don't know what else I could say about Sean Tucker, to be honest. It's just, it was sad. He's he's good at football. Breaking news. He's he's great at football, even. (laughs) But that'll do it for episode 20 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. For Kyle F., I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.